Hi, and welcome to Hack the Net, where every week we provide the internet with the life hacks they demand. I'm Matt Heron, and I'm over the spooky names. I'm Jeff the Ghoul. <laughs> I'm Louisa Heron, still normal. Yep, that's the scariest one of all. Yeah, oh, well, no. I already made that joke. <laughs> <laughs> Was that, last, was that last week? I missed I think it that. It might have joke. been two weeks ago. About, oh god! It was it was the same joke from Adam's family where Wednesday yeah, says the she's Wednesday, yeah. the same as everybody else. Uh, yeah, psychopaths. You know, etc. etc. Yeah, yeah. You knew a goth kid in high school, right? Well, the <laughs> they, they quoted that all the time. <laughs> the goth quid. The goth kid. The goth quid. Okay, I like this. Oh, that's my favorite uh, '80s British punk band. Yeah, the goth quids. Uh, yeah, I, I, the goth quote, the goth kid quote that I think mm-hmm. went around a lot in my youth was um, the. The one from Beetlejuice where Lydia is like, I'm I'm strange and unusual myself. Oh yeah, yeah. I don't fear the strange and unusual because I myself am strange and unusual. Which I think and I love I love how goth people didn't get that that movie was making fun of them. <laughs> the other funny part is the line immediately after that is, "You seem pretty normal to me." <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's so good. That's what I'm saying. Like. Tim Burton, who is a fucking weirdo in and of himself, but, like, clearly made that movie to be like, look how stupid it is to be a goth. But he is a goth, so I that's, know. Why, that's, that's why, why people like it, I think, yeah. Yeah, but I, ju- I just, I mean, it's the same thing as when, like, teenagers are like, oh, Romeo and Juliet is the greatest love story of all time, and you're like, no, it's a play written to talk about how stupid teenagers are when they think they're in love. Is like, that something any teenager has? I guess you were probably a theater teen. Never mind. Yeah, that is something teens said in your experience. <laughs> yes, all of this was from theater people. <laughs> not not getting the point of the things they love is a very theater kid thing to do. Yeah, yep. that's true. <clears throat> Take in- that, theater kids! Yeah, you had it too easy for too long. <laughs> in fairness, you're so, they, they you're li- so popular and have your lives together so much. <laughs> Uh, Theater they, did get frighteningly popular when at the peak of Hamilton, though, didn't it? It made me very nervous. Uh, I'd like to introduce you to a little thing called Rent, Louisa. Yeah, I was, <laughs> it was the same exact experience when I was in high school. I was, I was able to ignore rent, rent somehow. <laughs> I don't know. Sorry, we keep talking over Jeff. No, it's okay. I was going to bring up Rent specifically because it highlights the like core hypocrisy of the theater kid because it's a musical about being this like bohemian outsider and mm. tickets are 150 dollars <laughs> yeah yep. oh, yeah well man. that's broadway in general right like it's it's supposed to be the the bread and circuses but now it's like artisanal hand-baked sourdough and Ooh. cirque du soleil Ooh, i like these things but fancy instead of <laughs> for the common man yeah yep it's true i mean i think that this is why broadway is dying right i mean it's been dying for a long time but it's still dying yeah it used to be that it was uh i mean this is kind of what you're getting at jeff but it used to be like of the people like yeah it, yes it would be an expensive evening out but not cripplingly expensive and if you mm-hmm. you know stood and waited for those last minute tickets they would actually be extremely reasonable you could still do that yeah the they're not booth... they're not as reasonable as they used to be those last minute ones yeah also. the uh the booth has been like reopened for a little bit but it's like now everybody knows about that yeah I feel people, like people line up for that yeah exactly mm. um plus here's the thing that really bothers me is every 
Broadway theater does professional quality recordings of all of their shows and then just keeps them in a vault yep. where no mm. one can watch them. Mm. Yep. Why would they not start instantly the most successful movie distribution service of all time? <laughs> like, oh yeah, here, you can see, do you want to see friggin' Sweeney Todd with Angela Lansbury in it? Yeah, we got that. Hmm. Yeah, but <laughs> they want to, I think it's the, the like... The, I don't know if it goes that far back, sorry. <laughs> they've painted themselves into a corner a little bit because they put so much of their money on the idea of Broadway being like this exclusive fancy thing that now it can't not be that anymore. Like staging a Broadway show now costs hundreds of millions of dollars at least. And like they have to keep, they have to keep upping themselves. And also they have to keep making it so that it feels like it's an exclusive thing that is worth the money that they're charging. Yeah. I don't know. I don't think they intend to do that. I think they still think they're like, oh, we're the heart and soul of New York City. But they're moving further and further away. That's the theater kid mindset again now, isn't it? (laughs) But it has to be for tourists now, because you can't can't just have it be something people can go to anymore. Yes, and I think that that's because they, they started down the path of making it something that is, like, rare and exclusive. See, I don't think they are doing that intentionally, except in the capitalist sense that they found out they could charge more, so they are. Yeah. Yeah. Although then it's like, you hear about, you know, even popular plays having half-full theaters most of the time, because no one can afford to go to them. I don't know. I I mean, it's a a tough one, though, right? Because... Supply and demand would dictate that if people are lined up out the door when tickets are uh, affordable to everyone, then you gotta raise the prices. And then when you raise the prices, you gotta raise the spectacle of the show to match, and then you can't lower the prices anymore. Right. That's true. And I think that there's something to be said for... I feel like there's been a certain stagnation in the way tickets work where, like... There is, you know, there's discounts for buying a ticket for a Sunday matinee or whatever, but there, the price drop A isn't much, and B, I think, should apply. There should be, like, a sliding scale. Like, if you want to go on Saturday night when it's the most popular, it's more expensive, but if you wanted to go on a a Wednesday or whatever, it would be much, much cheaper. Yeah, it used to be for the Wednesday yeah. matinees. I don't know if it still is. I think it, 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 again, it is a little cheaper, but not enough that you'd be, like, sold out every night, because why not, you know? <laughs> Here's the thing also, it used to be, uh, if you're t- traveling from a long way away, you're staying in New York, you're in a hotel, you'd do that knowing you wanted to see a Broadway play. Then in mm-hmm. the, from the concierge or going down to the booth or something, you would figure out what show you're going to see. And mm-hmm. now I think people are like, I'm traveling from, I don't know, Japan, and I want to see Hamilton in New York City. I will pay any I price. I will see Seussical, you say. <laughs> well, yeah. See yourself in the mirror every and, day. And <laughs> you're like, I, I will pay any price to have this arranged ahead of time. Like, no one's willing to accept that you just go and see a play, a Broadway show. You yeah. need the one you want to see, so you're going to spend hundreds more to make sure you get that. 
the that, thing of it is, so many of them are terrible. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that I didn't. I wouldn't want to take my chances and then have to sit through like uh, the. Uh, the Jersey Boys or whatever. No, Jersey Boys is one of the good ones, I think. It can't be. That's impossible. <laughs> it's about Frankie Valley and the Four Seasons, isn't it? No, yeah, let's not it can't be. It's impossible. <laughs> Search your feelings. You know it to be true. Uh, I did we we didn't start the show yet. God, did we? Yes, yes we yes. did. Okay, we Jesus. Okay, we're in it. I felt we just got on this tangent. <laughs> I, the real secret, if anybody is visiting New York, is don't go to a Broadway show. Go to one of the museums. They are mm-hmm. so much cooler. It is, like, suggestion 20 bucks to get in, and then you can spend eight hours there looking at the coolest stuff you've ever seen in your life. <laughs> I thought they are actually adding a fee now to, uh, uh, what's the one that was free all this whole time? Was the Met. Roma. Yeah, the Met. Yeah, I think the Met is, like, if you're not a resident, you have to charge, but also, like, you have to pay, but they don't check. And also, I think $25 is reasonable to get to go look at, like, hundreds and hundreds of sculptures and paintings oh, yeah. all day. But I will say the free. musical numbers are not as good at the Met. Mm. I don't have a good joke response to that. I'm sorry, <laughs> man. I didn't have a good joke set up for it either. So I was gonna say something about that screaming mummy. They imaged that one time, but <laughs> oh, I love that guy. <laughs> he's so he's the the rap track on this song. I would pay any price to see him on Broadway. <laughs> oh fuck! Somebody should write a like funky mummy disco song or whatever, Wait, and then have Matt. like sample that. <laughs> that vocal uh-huh. you've just as... invented steve martin <laughs> <laughs> he did a funky mummy disco song it's true but he did it before they had made that fake mummy's trachea or whatever they did <laughs> it's very ironic blew... guys are am i the only one who imagines that they just blew across the top of it like a yes. bo- like a bottle okay <laughs> Um, it's ironic that I believe it was a uh, exhibit that came to the Met that made him write that song. Mm. Yeah, the King Tut like tour was going on, and yeah. the, the joke of the song is that he's trying to capitalize on it but doesn't know anything about what it is. Yeah. Yep. Anyway, Matt, what'd you do this week? Okay, I've got two good ones to talk about. Two right, give us games. the bad ones first. Haha, <laughs> <laughs> it's all bad ones. That's my secret cap, I'm all bad ones. <laughs> Nice. Um, I've got two video games to talk about. One that's new and one that's new to me. I'm going to start with the one that's new, which is Gotham Knights. Oh, I heard mm. it's very bad. <laughs> it's fine. Okay. Um, it's odd because it is very clearly a uh, a clumsy attempt to recreate the success of Marvel's Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, it's just a Batman version of that, basically. But what's interesting is that Marvel's Spider-Man was kind of, like, a logical progression from the Arkham Knight series. Mm-hmm. So it's like Spider-Man doing Batman, and now Batman doing Spider-Man back. Uh-huh. Is, um, is this- yes. this one is in the continuity of the Arkham ones, but by a different developer? It's by, I think, the same developer, as far as I know, although they have a different name now. They used to be- it was Rocksteady before, but I think they moved yeah, on now to do called... the Suicide Squad game. Oh, you're right, but it's 
WB Montreal is right. like the ones who did the, the prequel where everyone has different right. voices. Yes, that's the one. Because <clears throat> there were three Arkham games, and one of them wasn't made by Rocksteady, the one that everyone hated. Oh no, there were three main ones that were made by Rocksteady, and then Arkham Origin, which was made oh, by a different yes. studio. There's yes. too many Batmans. Yeah, too many uh, Batmans. That but I hear he's the, dead the now, work, so that's exciting. That's the working title for this game, because you play as one of four Batmans. <laughs> yeah. Mm. <clears throat> um, I will say, I thought it was weird, at the beginning of the game, there's like a character select where you choose between which of the four Batmans you want to be. Yeah. And it gives you a little rundown of like, you know, do you want to play as Nightwing? Here are his things. He fights with his Grima sticks. He... Uh, is a, an acrobat or whatever. Rockin' um, ass. <clears throat> yeah, exactly. And so, this is the only information you have to go on to choose your character. I assume that they they think people will just pick whichever is their favorite, like, character, regardless. Yeah. But I wanted to play as somebody who fought- who did things like Batman. So I was going around and, like, Tim Drake uses a bow staff, and- uh, Red Hood, Jason Todd uses guns, and then Barbara Gordon, Batgirl, it's like, uh, one-on-one brawling expert, or whatever, and I was like, yeah, this is the one. She's got a cape, that's cool, she's the only one with a cape, she's also the one who is just gonna be beating up fools with her fists like a Batman would do. She's got fucking nunchucks from the beginning, and you what? have to use them. No! You can't not use the nunchucks. <laughs> Is it because of her weak girl arms that they couldn't justify her beating people up? <laughs> she's. A, I think she's the strongest melee fighter in the game. I think of the four of them, she is the one who does the most physical damage. Yeah, but she's got them nunchucks <clears throat> about it. Well, they've all got- this is my point. They've all got weapons. Like, mm. you I can't see. just be a person who just fights with fists. What about yeah. Laundry? Do they have the, um, uh, Chris O'Donnell? Well, Robin? Tim Drake- Tim Drake is the one who fights with a bow staff in this one. And I do think it's weird. I feel like, in general, Batman things have gotten to the point where the, like, super science of it has made it so that the- point which is supposed to be like this is a thing a real human could do is kind of out the window where like tim drake's whole thing as robin is that he is the detective side of batman like his his thing is that he's not maybe as good of an athlete as the others but he's very good at solving crimes and and you know tailing people and staying in in stealth and stuff like that the super genius of the family right um and I would love if this game had the guts to make it that that means he's not as good at fighting. Like, it's a little clunkier to use him when you're in combat and whatever. But he has this bow staff, and it, like, wildly changes in length while he's fighting. <laughs> so, like, it'll grow longer to hit people if they're further away and stuff. And it's so- like, <laughs> fuck you! Like... <laughs> The whole point of this is that this is a guy who's not very good at fighting just using a broom handle to, like, even the score a little bit. Why does it gotta be a magic, uh, you know, what is that, Journey to the West? Yeah, I was gonna say, it's just Goku (laughs) at that point. (laughs) Yeah. Do you think it's because I heard some of the criticisms I heard about this game were that it had way too much going on and they suspect that the um, developers were trying to make 
one or more different games, and at the last minute they were like, fuck it, we need to make money on this, it's gonna be this game. I don't know. I don't really get that specific vibe from it. I do agree that it has too much going on, and I think that what they're trying to do of of being like a Marvel Spider-Man, but with all of this extra like player customization stuff, mm-hmm. really undermines the point of it, because then you're like... Every time there's a cutscene, all four of these people have to be involved, <laughs> and like mm-hmm. even the ones that I haven't been playing as are there. And I'm like, get out of here, Jason Todd! Literally, no one wants you involved in any of this. Yeah, like <laughs> the fans voted to kill you 35 years ago. Yeah, and we still vote that. <laughs> I still vote that. Uh, also, it's so funny because Jason Todd, when he died in the comics, was like sort of a weedy, angry little kid. And now Red Hood is, like, bigger than the Incredible Hulk. (laughs) Like, Hmm. the way that they depict Jason Todd, you're like, oh, you're a monster man. Like, (laughs) really? They made him, like, beefy? Huge! That's so strange. Like, four feet taller than, um, than, uh, Dick Grayson. Does he grow, or, or, like, does he grow in the moment, or is he always just a huge, huge man? No, I am, I am exaggerating very slightly, but he is bigger than any other person I have interacted with so far But, like, even out of costume? Is that part of the game? Yes, even out of costume. Yeah, he doesn't have superpowers, he's just a very tall, beefy man. Yes. But he's, the whole thing about him is he was the, like, hasty replacement for Dick Grayson, who's, like, a lithe, wiry, like, teen gymnast. That's one of those linguistic uh, phrases you use for practice, a hasty, (laughs) what did you just say? Hasty replacement for Dick Grayson. Yeah, hasty replacement for Dick Grayson. (laughs) Yep, hasty replacement for Grayson. Very good. Um, anyway, so I switched from from Batgirl to Robin to to, to Tim Drake, and aren't several I, of them Robin? <clears throat> yeah, at least them, three of no, them were Robin at one point. They were Robin, but okay. the only one who is Robin in this game okay. is Tim Drake. The other ones are Nightwing and Red Hood. Okay, gotcha. <clears throat> um, it's fine. I'm enjoying it, but it's the, the kind of enjoying where you're like, oh, this is like more of that other game that I liked, except not quite as good. Yeah, I didn't finish the the third of them, the one where you have to drive the car around a lot, and the bad guy is called the Arkham Knight. Yes. Um, But I I may finish it eventually. I really, really, really liked Arkham City a lot. It was, to me, like, I think people have come around to be like, Arkham Asylum was the best because the scope is smaller, but I loved Arkham City because it was like, if you could play Skyrim as Batman. Yeah, I heard okay. before this Gotham Knights came out, the reason that I pre-ordered it is because people were saying that it was like Elden Ring, but Batman. Hmm. And like, I don't even fucking know what that would be, but I was like, I gotta get in on this. You spend uh, all your time like uh, digging through dumpsters to collect <laughs> enough uh, half-empty cans of beer to make your potions. <laughs> yeah. 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 That's what I wanted. It's okay. only it's only the Scarecrow nightmares the whole time. <laughs> <laughs> Basically, yes. Um, I feel like there's enough Batman lore that there's a way you could make that work. And I really hoped... That, I mean, it would be a, probably a lot more like Bloodborne than like uh, Elden Ring, but God, that, that would, would also rule. be fine. 
Yeah, right? Do a Batman versus Dracula game where everybody's friggin' vampires and monsters in Gotham. (laughs) Yeah. Um, So anyway, Gotham Knights, probably not worth it. Okay. If you want to try it, you can, but I would wait till it's on sale, which it will be very soon because it's not very good. Um, The other game that I've been playing, though, that is not new but is new to me because it only just came out on PC is Triangle Strategy, and guys, this game kicks so much ass. How much is it like Octopath Traveler? Visually, it's all exactly like Octopath Traveler. Gameplay-wise, it's nothing like Octopath Traveler. <laughs> okay. It, gameplay-wise, it's exactly like Final Fantasy Tactics, the good one. Oh, where you set up all your guys and then start a battle? Yes. Okay. And, like, all of your characters have, like, classes and class abilities that you can then, you can class them up once they reach a certain level and yeah, they really become- class up the joint. Yeah, you yeah, brush exactly. them like a Pokemon, you <laughs> give them special massages yep. to make them feel better. <laughs> Yep. Special massages? <laughs> oh, God. Thank God they haven't added that yet, but Scarlet and Violet, you never know. Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's it's definitely a more simplified version of uh, the Final Fantasy Tactics formula, where, like, in that game, you know, once your character learned a, a certain skill, they could become a different class, and they could learn that class, and, like, mm-hmm. you could cross-pollinate different uh, passive abilities and all that stuff. None of that is in it, so if you're looking for exactly Final Fantasy Tactics, you're not going to find it. But it's pretty good, Um, and, like, if you are a person like me who loves SRPGs, it's probably the best one that's come out since XCOM. Okay. Which which of the XCOMs? Because I know people liked that second in the remake series a lot. Yeah, XCOM was the last one that came out too. Yeah, it might have been called like Enemy Within or something. The... Well, no, part... that was a DLC. Yeah, part of the issue is something. all of the DLCs have standalone titles. <laughs> yes. Ugh. Um, whatever the most recent XCOM was was extremely good and had like every voice actor was a different person from Star Trek: The Next Generation, which was incredible. Mm, like oh, that's files. Yeah, yes, it Gargoyles was very the video much game. like Gargoyles. Yes. Um, yeah, when when the leader of the, like, ghost spies or whatever appears and her voice is Marina Sirtis, I was like, I can't believe you did it. You mad lads, you got all of them. <laughs> <clears throat> um, anyway, uh, it, it has... The thing that I think is best about Final Fantasy Tactics that then they completely fucked up in the Tactics Advance games, is the first Final Fantasy Tactics felt like a Game of Thrones plot. Yes. Mm. Mm-hmm. And this game is that also. It has that same level of, like, hyper-high drama, high fantasy, but, like, the nitty-gritty of the politics of that world mm-hmm. stuff in it that I love, and I'm eating it up, and it's great. <laughs> the whole game starts with you being forced to marry a person who's, like, a a, a child of a um, another noble house, but she's a pariah because her mother was a prostitute. That's uh, so complicated. Yeah, no, and it I, gets I love way that. more complicated. Yeah, it's so good. That's what's really good about <laughs> Final Fantasy Tactics. What is it? War of the Lions is the subtitle they later appended to it. Yeah, that was the like remaster that they put out on PlayStation. Yeah, or, but 
PlayStation Pocket or whatever. Yeah, that sounds like it could also be a Game of Thrones uh, subtitle. Exactly, Game of Thrones: War of the Lions. (laughs) What I first played at Game of Thrones was uh, only a book that the hyperist of hyper nerds had read. So uh, my go-to comparison was that it felt like uh, like Shakespeare as a video game. Yes. (laughs) Yeah, and it, it it does. Yes, it did that well in a way that was shocking because I don't think video games in general do a good job of presenting plot to you. Um, uh, and especially not a plot that is this complicated and, and rich. Um, yeah, it's but, something that fire emblem has lacked for me, despite the fact yes. that it's very similar gameplay. Yes. Fire emblem feels like they want to do that, but they don't know how to stop getting in their own way where they'll be like, Yes, this is this epic battle between these three houses that are, uh, you know, scheming for the throne. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But then, like, oh yeah, in addition to all of this super high drama, here's the one character that's like a weird anime nerd. You know, like... Yeah, they're doing anime Game of Thrones instead of, like, a good thing. Yes. And, like, they can't stop getting in their way of doing, like, fan service and, like, weird references to Japanese culture that no one in America gets mm. and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas this uh, Triangle Strategy feels isolated from that. I mean, I feel like Octopath Traveler kind of had that vibe, too, where it was set in ge- generic medieval Europe. Yeah. And, yeah. and had this sort of sweeping plot, but the problem was it was doing too many different plots at once, so you couldn't follow any of them. Eight, in fact. <laughs> yes. Well, it depends on how many characters you collected, uh, really. Yeah. I, uh, I, the thing, there's a specific flavor of fantasy that was pioneered by 90s RPGs, which was, like, medieval Europe knight and dragon and wizard fantasy done by Japanese game developers. Yeah. <clears throat> And filtered through that cultural lens in such a way that when it hits American shores, it feels simultaneously brand new and extremely familiar in a comforting way. Um, And, you know, stuff like Final Fantasy Tactics and Chrono Trigger really Mm -hmm. nail that so hard. (laughs) And it's, I feel like something people have tried to replicate since and had a lot of trouble with. Yeah, yeah. I feel like it takes so much restraint to do it right, because there's so many cool things in a Final Fantasy Tactics in a Chrono Trigger that could wreck it if you went, if you leaned into it too far. Like, the fact that the future world in Final Fantasy, uh, in, in Chrono Trigger, is like two locations, and there's just the one robot guy, and then you're like, well, that's a wasteland, I need to go back in time. Yeah. Imagine if they'd been like, yeah, let's actually set like a whole, you know, third of the game in this future world, it would have been awful. <laughs> yeah, they did make you do a motorbike uh, mini. Oh, game I race hate that! That's the robot yeah. guy. That's the worst part of that game. Like, oh my god! I robot like named it. Johnny. I think it's Johnny. Yeah, because all the other like motorcycle robots are like the backup singers in a like Ronette style, uh, <laughs> so, like leader of the pack band, which exactly. is so fucking good. It's yeah. exactly that's the type of thing where like because of the cultural context of like Japanese pop culture had a phase where they were really into the greaser look, and that's yeah, where yeah. that big anime pompadour comes from, um, and like that is expressed here 
but because it's a medieval fantasy, but the steampunk future of the medieval fantasy, it's like so warped and twisted that I've never seen it before or elsewhere, but also it feels comfortably recognizable. Yeah. Yeah, it's like referencing a bunch of stuff that you do get, so even if you don't get it, you get all the pieces of it. Mm -hmm. I like um, the... Uh, Japanese video game idea of medieval Europe that always includes a desert. <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-huh. Like, every single one of these is like, well, we're gonna definitely have a desert part of this game. Well, Spain. <laughs> well, l- let me tell you all about the third kingdom in the triangle strategy, because it's the desert kingdom. Of course it is! <laughs> yeah, There's you- a map. Mountain kingdom, a river kingdom, and a desert kingdom. Yeah. And an ice Spain, kingdom and but, uh, a lava kingdom. <laughs> you really have to go across the Straits of Gibraltar to get to North North Africa for a real desert, don't you? Yeah, that's what I'm uh, that was my other thinking was like maybe it's it's North Africa type stuff, because like I feel like there's a more Mediterranean feel to an octopath traveler. Yeah, that's it feels true. like it's trying to do like crusades y vibes, maybe. Yeah. Maybe. Yeah, without understanding the Crusades, that sounds about right for a JRPG. Yeah. <laughs> I um, I was I want to say I wanted to make the joke that uh, I believe that France is very famous for its deserts, Des- deserts, Boo! Mm, desserts. <laughs> yeah, uh, I heard that it's very famous for uh, naked ladies dancing. Yeah. <laughs> um, have you guys watched any of Taskmaster New Zealand? I know, Jeff, you watched a little bit. I downloaded it. I don't think I ever started it, though. Yeah, no, uh, I haven't yet. There is a task, uh, I can't remember what season it's in, where they go in and it says, and there's a bunch of, like, cookies and frosting and stuff, and it says, make the best dessert. Mm-hmm. But it actually says, make the best desert. <laughs> So good. That is, and quite good. only one of the contestants reads it correctly. It's so good. I love that. <clears throat> how how is the host on that one? Is the is it like a good crew of people? It takes some getting used to, and I will say, even though season one is very good, uh, Jeremy, the t- Taskmaster in Taskmaster New Zealand, is not doesn't really get it in the first season. That is a bad name for a yeah, host of the show. Yeah, <laughs> um, He... There are times when his judgment feels like there's something wrong with him. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, like he there, got hit on the head? What do you mean? No, like, there... There is a contestant on the first season, whose name is Brinley, and she is a fairly well-known New Zealand comedian, apparently. Um, and she's a huge Taskmaster fan. She was actually one of the people that helped get Taskmaster ported to New Zealand. And she's very good, and sometimes she does, like, clearly, obviously, noticeably better than everyone else. And then they cut back to the studio, and Jeremy's like, alright, well, Brinley, I didn't like the way that you said that one word, so one point. And you're like, what? Excuse me? <laughs> like, do you do you have a thing against Brinley, or, like, somebody, somebody like Brinley hurt you once, and it made you so that you, like, don't like looking at this person's face or whatever? I think maybe Jeremy at the beginning thought that it was more like whose line is it anyway, where you where the like, points the joke don't matter. Is that you're yeah. throwing out like points wildly. Uh, yeah, but, but no, yeah, the, I take it extremely seriously. <laughs> yes, yeah, so points yeah, the matter task very much. Has to believe what he's saying, even though it's arbitrary. 
Exactly. <laughs> um, and he does get that eventually. I, the third season, which is the most recent one, is very good. And mm. yes, there's one of my favorite contestants in any Taskmaster ever was in that season, and he is incredible. <laughs> one of them, uh, worst idea of all time guys is on one season of yeah, that, right? Season two, yeah. Tim, uh, Guy Montgomery is in season two, and he is also very good. <laughs> Every episode, he wears a different shirt that he has printed an awkward picture of their version of Alex Horn from high school on. That's very good. <laughs> it's very good. Yeah. So, uh, anyway, that's not here that's neither here nor there yeah, but triangle strategy. <laughs> if you have the opportunity to play triangle strategy if you've ever liked any of the uh final fantasy tactics strategy rpgs i think you will really like it so that's my endorsement nice. louisa what did you do this week this week i finished up the rings of power first season Mm, Sonic the Hedgehog series? Yeah! He's trying to stop uh, uh, Sauron from coming to power. (laughs) I heard he doesn't even show up in the series once. Like, everyone's just talking about, oh, someday Sonic will appear and save us all from Sauron or whatever. Yeah, you see Tails right at the very end, and he's like, my friend Mm -hmm. Sonic will show up at some point. He promises Mm -hmm. you directly to the camera. (laughs) Yeah, he looks at the camera and says it. (laughs) He's like, Etrigan and I have to wait here for him. (laughs) Uh, anyway. Is that his name? Is Etrigan the name Etrigan of the guy? Etrigan is the demon from DC Comics. <laughs> I think he's also the guy from, uh, Waiting for Godot. Huh. Does he turn into Jason Blood in Waiting for Godot? <laughs> <laughs> Waiting for Godot characters. <laughs> Estragon. I was uh, so damn. Okay. That is pretty cool. That's the... That's the horror you can inject version. To, to yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I, I was trying um, to... Thank you for figuring it out. We didn't figure it out. I looked up a list of characters in Waiting for Godot. And one of them is Godot. And one of them is Godot. And that's not okay, you guys. That's the perfect troll. Someone's always adding Godot to the characters list on Wikipedia. Godot, who shows up right at the very end for the dramatic climax. Yeah, Yeah, you didn't wait after the credits. That's why you think he's not in it. (laughs) Oh, man. So this show's very confusing. Uh, Matt, I know you haven't watched it. Jeff, have you watched all of it? I watched one or two episodes of it and was like, this is cool, but I'm not invested in uh, any of this world or these characters. Yeah, that's the thing. I watched the whole thing and I did enjoy it, but it was more of a background show I didn't pay a lot of attention to because it was pretty to look at, but... It didn't make a lot of sense. There were times when I thought it expected me to know a lot about the books, but there were also times when I didn't think it was saying anything in particular, (laughs) and it thought it was tying up into its own show lore correctly, and it wasn't. Yeah, I... One of the things that has made me not interested in watching it, I mean, maybe I will someday, I don't know, but I have no desire to right now because every time that I'm talking to someone about it and I'm like, so what's it about? Yeah. They can't really say. (laughs) Like, no one's like, here's a thing that happens in it. (laughs) There's a lot of points of view, which maybe was a mistake, Mm because I feel like the key of Lord of the Rings is these characters meet all these different people. 
but these characters are the ones that you follow. Mm-hmm. Maybe maybe I'm reading that wrong, but I thought that was kind of one of its strengths. It's like the it's like the Rashomon of fantasy nerd bullshit. <laughs> yeah, where were you when that big mountain exploded? I will say the end of the first episode the like one of the elves is like Ooh, and the renowned uh, jeweler Celebrimbor has a new project on his <laughs> uh, on his slate, and you're su- obviously supposed to be like, ah, I know who that is. He forged all of the rings and the <laughs> one ring to rule them all. <laughs> yeah, I do like that moment because you can tell from context. I had no idea who Celebrimbor was, but you can tell from context when he comes in. It's supposed to be like, eh. Yeah, it's like when Tony Stark was in The Incredible Hulk. (laughs) (laughs) Everyone else in the show starts applauding when Caliber Boar comes in like, Woo! Yeah, Yeah. this guy! (laughs) But there are several moments where it's like, we must do this or something terrible will happen. And then other characters are like, hey, wait, I think if we do this, the terrible thing won't happen. And it's treated like a big dramatic moment. And I'm like, didn't we already establish this? So I don't yeah. quite understand. Like, I, it, it's the MacGuffin. I get it. We, we all agree it's important because it's important. But then later characters are like, no, I think it's important. Like, hold on. <laughs> I thought we were dealing with simple fairy tale concepts here, and I thought I already got it. So that was a bit does weird. It, does it follow uh, Sauron's journey at all? Kind of. Do we it's... get to see him as the Marquise of the Rings or whatever? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know about that. But, um, Duke, uh, Duke of the Ring. <laughs> yeah, I think Dukes are higher than Lords. I was oh, trying to think it. what was lower than Lords. Is Marquis? Hold uh, on, is Sauron the Lord of the Rings? Ooh, good is question. he not? I mean, is Calrimmon the Lord of the Rings because he made no? Calrimmon is <laughs> not even a character in those books. He's part yes. of the backstory. <laughs> I don't know why I knew about him before the video game that he's in, but he I did. A, he does have a weirdly memorable name for some reason. Yeah. Um, how who else could be the Lord of the Rings if not Sauron? Good question. Yeah, maybe there isn't one. Well, the titles of these books would tell me otherwise, Jeff. <laughs> yeah, you know there? what? I guess there is a Fellowship of the Ring. There are two yep. towers. There yep. is a king who returns. It's true. Interesting. So there must be a Lord of the Rings. Hold on, yeah, it has to be Sauron. Who is so, the Lord? Sauron's the new bad guy who took over from Morgoth, who's the old bad guy who did get defeated, Hold on, yeah, hold on. can you try pronouncing the old bad guy's name again? Morgoth? Uh, no, you're mispronouncing it, clearly. I watched a little bit of the show, it's pronounced Morgoth. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and I don't understand how, like... I'm I'm assuming any bad guy in this type of story is like the devil. So it's kind of like the story is telling me there was an old devil, a bigger one, but he actually got defeated for real. The Old Testament devil versus the New Testament devil. (laughs) And now there's a new devil, and he's maybe even more powerful, but maybe not. And we don't know if he exists or not, and maybe he's imaginary, but he's definitely real. And he could be anybody, but is he? And then at the end you find out he is one of the characters, and I was like, okay. (laughs) <laughs> like yeah, it's I, extremely anticlimactic for me <laughs> one of the things that i think is some bullshit about the lord of the rings books and i've not seen all of the movies but i assume the movies as well is that they all talk like "Ooh, sauron is this weird boogeyman and some people don't even believe he really exists and he's like this weird devil person or whatever mm-hmm. but like you met a dude who fought him like yeah. elrond is right there <laughs> 
you know, he's like, yeah, I fucking stabbed that fool. <laughs> he is not a myth. He's real. I met him. You know, 10 years ago, I would have believed you. And now I don't anymore because of the way the world is. I totally believe people would be like, yeah, Sauron's not pro- probably not real. I know he destroyed the city, but <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that, this is... that was something else. The city fell down on its own. <laughs> this is like how... Uh... Star Wars, it became a lot more believable that after 19 years, a guy would be like, Jedi aren't real. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, yeah, I, we have people like a week later being like, I don't know, that election didn't happen or whatever. <laughs> uh, That's what feel- it is, right? Denialism? <laughs> we just, yeah, nobody exactly. voted. <laughs> uh, in the show, I felt very proud of myself knowing nothing that a character shows up near the beginning, mysterious. And I, I think the guy who knows nothing is in Game of Thrones, not <laughs> right. Yeah, you got it. <laughs> Sorry, that would be awesome. Not, that would be yeah, so cool. If at the beginning of Rings of Power, end of the first episode, Jon Snow walks in, yeah, <laughs> I'd be like, "What the hell He's is like, going I need on?" Creepy to, to the Avengers, Galadriel. <laughs> oh fuck! I would watch this show. Here's this the is thing. like the fucking League of Extraordinary Gentlemen of <laughs> Fantasy, and I love it. Warner Bros. does own the rights to both oh, of these God. properties. They could do it if they wanted. Guys, they could put Sauron just... in multiverses. Yeah. Guys, we're just writing uh, Space Jam 2. <laughs> <sighs> Oh, God. Uh, anyway, so there's a character who shows up early, and everyone's like, well, who's this guy? Where did he come from? Like, yeah, it's mysterious. Mm-hmm. And it's Mysterio? <laughs> from that Jake moment, Gyllenhaal? from that moment, I'm like, oh, I bet I know who he is, not knowing anything about anything, and I'm possibly right. <laughs> it seems, mm. it seems at the end, the big twist is, I am probably right about that, which is very mm. funny to me. Yeah, I saw, like, the clickbait articles about, like, who are these characters? He might be, uh, it, it might be, like, a familiar face that we've met yeah. before, and then <laughs> yeah. I, like have not watched the show, so I do not know how that progressed. Yeah, it's funny to read um, people people's theories before the last episode. They're like, oh, here's who we think this mysterious guy is going to turn out to be. Well, he made a hand gesture this one time that's like the special oath that the elves did for this in this book, and it's so complicated, and I'm like, no, but my dumb theory <laughs> was the right one, actually. <laughs> so I really like that. Uh, yeah, theorized I theorized it was Bilbo Baggins. <laughs> yeah. I recommend it as a show if you just want something to, like, if you're sick or something, you want something to look at, you don't want to think too much, yeah, and you don't have to, and it's fine, and then you're like, oh, yeah, okay, so this is how it is, great, and it's enjoyable enough that way. Yeah. Yeah, this is the one, this is an Amazon thing, right? Yes. I feel like that's all of the Amazon original series fall into that category of, Mm. like, just kind of pay attention to it, but don't think about it too much. Because I had the same thing. I I think I talked about it on the show. I loved the Wheel of Time books, and I tried to watch the series, and I was so bored. Mm-hmm. I was just like, I think this is meant to not really be something you pay 100% of your attention to. Yeah. And the sets in the show are so beautiful. The sets, yeah. the costumes, uh, some of the special effects even. Like, it's all very good to look at. But yeah, yeah it doesn't matter very much. Yeah, people people were making fun of the like the weird like intro segment saying it looked cheap, but then I like I watched the show show and it looks as good as those movies look. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I like the uh magical island, which is kind of like an Atlantis um 
uh, parallel where like, oh, they, they have amazing technology in it. They have a perfect society and they all wear togas. Like that kind of place, this island, uh, it looks a lot like the Dinotopia drawings nice. <laughs> of like beautiful <laughs> shining buildings on cliffs with waterfalls. I love that. Mm-hmm. And the guy in charge there is Saruman. <laughs> yeah, Dino <exactly>. Saruman. <laughs> Not, How come that anyone was surprised that a guy named Saruman and a guy named Sauron decided to team up? Yeah. It's, it's the, uh, why did you say that name But before? Yeah. <laughs> anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. Enjoyable. Uh, Jeff, what did you do this week? Uh, I watched last year's lovely uh, Mike Flanagan Netflix original series that has now become an annual... Uh, occurrence. Uh, did I talk about watching The Midnight Club last week? I think I did. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I went back and watched Midnight Mass, which has a very different tone, but some of the yes. same cast members. Um, and I liked it a lot. Uh, I Matt like this one too, right? Yes. Okay. Uh, I don't want to say too much about the premise because I felt like before I watched it, other people said too much about the premise. Um, I will say it's... I, I think it's impossible to not know the big spoiler of the premise. I mean, it's like we were talking about earlier with Marvel movies, like... Was that before we started recording the show? Doesn't matter. We're always um, kind of talking about but, Marvel movies in the background. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That the, the, the trailer spoiled it, where, like, literally the very first thing I heard about Midnight Mass was the thing that spoils the main twist of the show. <laughs> yeah, same. Um, but the, the like, setup is this guy is getting out of prison for uh, manslaughter. He was, like, driving drunk and killed someone, and he's getting out of prison and returning to his hometown, which is a sleepy uh, island, I think, off the coast of Long Island? Um, Somewhere in New York, New England-ish. I don't remember if they mention the state specifically but he's going he's going back to this place and like (laughs) reconnecting with his past and then a mysterious young religious leader uh shows up to uh to begin preaching at the local catholic church and 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 everyone in the community goes to this catholic church and yeah a big part of the show is following the handful of folks who don't and how hard their lives are because they're not seen as, like, insiders of this community. Um, stuff really goes uh, off the rails eventually, and it gets really cool and fun. Uh, and like any Mike Flanagan thing, it has a lot to say about trauma and the way it impacts us on an ongoing basis. And uh, a lot of, like spiritual beliefs about like what happens when we die and the ways in which christianity and atheism are not so different you and i um, <laughs> we're all a sauron inside yeah yep. some of there's two kinds of people in this world there's celebrimbors and there's saurons no uh but you know it's it's a lovely little series i think it's only seven episodes uh which is even shorter than your traditional netflix original miniseries uh but it is harrowing, though. Do not try to sit down and watch it all in one. <laughs> session. Oh yeah, you'll probably it's it's. I would say not as emotionally heart wrenching as the either season of the haunting, but it is uh, definitely suspenseful and stressful, and lots of crazy stuff happens. In yeah, I watched it over the course of like a week. 
how many horror anthology series are happening right now that are run by one person? And it seems like the same cast often. There's um, at least three, right? This guy, it's not necessarily anthology series. Okay. The Haunting had two seasons. He's doing another show based on the fall of the House of Usher, but he says it's not part of that haunting but uh, is it gonna have verse? Is it gonna have a lot of the same cast? Is probably he likes to use the yeah. same cast members, but it's like he'll and then do. Ryan Murphy does that too for American Horror Story, doesn't he? Exactly. Yeah, uh, there's it's a lot sort... of this going around. It's weird. It's sort of similar to that, except instead of uh, where Ryan Murphy is juggling uh, ten shows a month, uh, yeah. Mike Flanagan has the time to just sit down and be like, "All right, I'm gonna hire my wife. I'm gonna hire the guy who played the kid in ET." And then we'll figure it out from there because Netflix basically wrote me a blank check to do a miniseries every year. Yeah. I just think it's weird that that's always good. Mm -hmm. Okay. Like, usually when somebody gets a blank check, they end up making some bullshit that, like, is so up its own ass that you can't enjoy it. Like the movie Blank Check. Yeah, that's true. (laughs) Um, I. I've liked all of them so far. Okay. I mean, maybe he'll eventually go off the rails, but all three of them I thought were really good. Yeah, it's... This guy is... He manages to do the impossible sometimes in that he has the unenviable task uh, maybe about eight years ago of making a prequel to the surprise hit movie Ouija. Mm-hmm. And that prequel is pretty good. <laughs> I didn't see Ouija. I went to go see Ouija Origin of Evil in theaters, and I liked it. Um, mm. He had the even less enviable task of making a sequel to The Shining, mm-hmm. and it's also pretty good. Yeah. Like, the the fact that he can pull off these impossible tasks, and then also is, like, good at making his own stories is really interesting. Um, yeah. I and think- uh, if- as a, as a genre, horror kind of lends itself more to anthologies and other stuff, I think. Because, like, a comedy or a drama, they build, the more you get to know the characters, the yeah. more, the richer that story can be. But I think surprises and not knowing people's motives and shit really is key to horror, the twists and turns. So, like, rebooting it every season, even if you're going to use the same cast, is kind of the key to the genre, maybe. Yeah. Plus, then everyone, all the actors get a chance to play the like scenery chewing villain. <laughs> everyone gets to be so the killer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh man, want. it's it's extremely funny how much he is stretching the. Uh, I would say not terrible, but not uh, wildly flexible acting muscles of Henry Thomas, who played <laughs> Elliot in ET, uh, mm-hmm. because like he's pretty good as a. Uh, sort of in-over-his-head dad who accidentally moved into a haunted house in the haunting of yes. Hill House. Like it happened to any of us. <laughs> oh, yeah, exactly. He's the everyman. He's mm-hmm. pretty good as, like, a priest who discovers that Ouija boards are real in Ouija <laughs> Origin of Evil. And then in this one, he has to play, like, a blue-collar fisherman? And it he's a cartoon character. <laughs> He has a corn cob pipe. It's so goofy. He does. I think he does have a corn cob pipe. It's like, it's really out there. And it's charming because that actor's very charming, but it is not, uh, I think, having the intended effect. I think, I don't know, because I think that in a way, maybe not intentionally, 
but it is interesting that he's doing that character in such a, like you say, like, Bluto from Popeye level cartoonishness, and yet he looks like the kid from E.T. Yeah. (laughs) And you're like, is this saying something about, like, judging a book by its cover, maybe? He's got a big (laughs) fake mustache on, and he's like, oh, just gotta get out on the boat for the new fishing. Like, what's happening? Um, The fact that he's telling his son who is, like, a professional bodybuilder-looking guy, like, you're not hard enough as a man, and you're like, <laughs> what? You're the kid from E.T.? <laughs> I, uh, I really like the fact that, he, like, basically this director has been the one-man career revival for Henry Thomas, which rules. Um, yeah. and but like you say, he does a pretty good job in most of them. Yeah. I think that part of it is um, that Mike Flanagan is interested in how childhood trauma impacts uh, adults as a storytelling mechanism, and who will be better than that than someone who was a child actor in the 80s? That's a good point, yes. Um, and I, I don't, I think that of them, Henry Thomas was probably not the uh, the most, like, messed up of the 80s child actors, but yeah, getting... Not even the most messed up from E.T. <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> absolutely not! Jesus! <laughs> I, always, I always forget she's in that movie. Um, but I think that it gives him like a special insight, perhaps. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. And like, boy, you swing for the fences when you get a... When, when you have to make a sequel to The Shining, and you have to recreate flashbacks without using original footage... Yeah. And you have to cast someone as Jack Torrance, as played by Jack Nicholson. And you get the kid from The Shining to do it. Yeah. Like, and he does a good job. I don't know. It's, it's a lot. It's, there's a lot of stuff to say about Mike Flanagan stuff. Midnight Mass is good. Everyone should watch it. Okay. It's weird. It's weirdly hubrisy that Mike Flanagan has kind of been like, I bet I could improve on Steven Spielberg and Stanley Kubrick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's 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 weird because he makes stuff that like stands on its own in a way yeah. that where it's not really even trying to compete with or expand on the original thing when he does that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, pretty good. He's uh he's adapted how many God, how many Stephen King things has he adapted now? He's adapted uh, Gerald's Game and Doctor Sleep. That might be does, the only two. Does he have Stephen King's seal of approval, which is very hard to get? I think so. I think he worked with Stephen King on Doctor Sleep to reconcile the differences between the novel Doctor Sleep and the movie version of The Shining uh, mm, to okay. make it something that would function as a adaptation of the novel and a sequel to the movie. That's oh, pretty good. That's good. Um, and, you know, it works pretty well. Like, one of the main differences is at the end of the book, The Shining, the Overlook Hotel explodes and burns down. Uh-huh. Mm. That doesn't happen at the end of the movie. It might. All we see is them driving away in that snowmobile. Right, but... <laughs> maybe, specific- maybe she turned on all the gas and <laughs> left a match or whatever. It's like, specifically in the the book, uh, Jack Torrance, like, while he's not becoming insane from ghosts or being inside or as a drug addiction metaphor, uh, he is, like, he goes and, like, opens all the gas vents uh, to, like, 
sort of sacrifice himself to save his family. Mm -hmm. Uh, And that stuff's just not in the movie, which is part of why Stephen King doesn't like it, because Jack Torrance was a representation of his alcoholism, and I get it. It's a good movie, though. Um, It is good. (laughs) I do think... I. I do think that maybe Stanley Kubrick was right on that one in that I feel like Jack Torrance being a white man was already inclined to be the one that the audience would think is the hero. And so everything you can do to not make him heroic is good. Yeah, I think it makes it a tighter, uh, a tighter movie to focus instead on um, Wendy and Danny and how they are uh, impacted by Jack's madness and, you know, a novel, you have the space to get into why the main character is, like, going insane and maybe doesn't want to be going insane. In a yeah. two-hour movie, you don't have that. It's yeah, funny. The Shades of Grey would have muddied the waters, I think, there. Yeah. Sorry, go on, Louisa. It's funny how how many books, uh, it's kind of a key to a lot of novels, that you are hearing the protagonist's thoughts. But you really can't portray that in any good way in TV or movies. So you kind of have to change I've everything. Seen quite a few movies that start with a narration of uh, my mother once told me that etc. <laughs> voiceover. Hi. Yeah, that's me. You're probably wondering how I ended up yeah. in this situation. <laughs> <laughs> there is a prophecy that one day etc cetera, etc. Cetera. <laughs> I I will say jokes aside, noir does work pretty well with the voiceover of the character explaining his thoughts. That's true, but it's like a artificial framework, you know? Like, when you're reading a book and you're seeing, oh, the character's thinking this, that feels very natural to you. Like, you are one-on-one interfacing with this book, so, like, you are seeing the character's thoughts as if you're the character, kind of. But when that's portrayed on screen, it feels fake to me every time, and they usually try to be sarcastic about it, if they do it. Yeah, I think even if you go back and watch, like, an older um, an older film noir, there's there's a over-serious dramatization of it where it's like, mm-hmm. it's yeah. melodrama rather than... Yeah, it knows what it's doing. It knows you're not taking it perfectly seriously. Um, what if you had a book on tape that you had to listen to while you were watching the movie? <laughs> the movie's going on, but in your ear, the character is kind of giving you a director's commentary of what's happening in the movie. Why, we yeah, have to make but... psychic movies. <laughs> what about VR? <laughs> Yeah, make it work with VR, you guys. <laughs> I think VR is the opposite of psychic. You don't transmit thoughts at all. You just like take over all of the external senses. Could you do something where there's it's like a VR movie where you are inhabiting the body of the main character, and there's like a little whispered voice that's saying all of the thoughts that the character is supposed to be having? Would that drive you insane? I yes. think you're just describing Disco Elysium. <laughs> Uh, I'm really looking forward to Fall of the House of Usher because I just saw the cast list and it's got Carl Lumley and Mark Hamill in it. Ooh. As fourth and fifth on the call sheet here. Is that the one where the brother and sister are in love with each other? No, I think you're thinking of Crimson Peak. (laughs) (laughs) Why were there multiple answers? (laughs) There's so many of those. I mean, that's gothic fiction for you. Yeah, it has this to be This is really the Edgar Allan Poe one, yes? Yeah, it is an Edgar Allan Poe short story. Uh, it, it is about famously siblings, that but I haven't read it. Movie with uh, Vincent Price, right? Famously uh, a movie with Vincent Price. Uh, 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 uh. I think that's true. Um, the narrator writes about his illness in a best... Uh, uh, 
the narrator is persuaded, desperation could pay. Why can't people just put one sentence, this is the one where the brother and sister are in love or whatever? I know why, because it's an Edgar Allan Poe story. <laughs> so they're yeah. all like that. The, narr- the narrator is going insane and he thinks there's a thing there, but it's not real. Yeah. Like, I can't remember what the... His one novel, right? The narrative of something Pym... Not, not Hank Pym, that's Ant-Man. <laughs> narrative, the narrative of Arthur Gordon Pym of Nantucket is, oh, okay. is Poe's only novel. I cannot in my mind separate it from At the Mountains of Madness by H.P. Lovecraft, <laughs> because they're both about just, like, some guys on a boat going crazy. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's a pretty common theme in American literature, isn't it? <laughs> but it's like, it's both very specific and easy to summarize and extremely vague and not descriptive at all to say that it's about a guy on a boat going insane. Mm-hmm. I can see why Mike Flanagan wants to make this into another series, because it has that thing he loves of there being a story within the story that is a metaphor for the story that's happening. Yeah. Uh, he should have <laughs> adapted Watchmen. Do you think this ha- Oh yeah, with the pirate stuff? Yep. Sorry, go on. Do you think this House of Usher is going to suffer from being a complete story already? Like, you didn't know where Midnight Mass or Midnight Club were going to go. Well, new, right? the Midnight Club was an adaptation of a YA novel. Midnight Mass was original. Oh, was it Faithful? The Faithful adaptation? I think so. I haven't read the novel, but I, I've heard okay. that it is, like, more faithful than his two hauntings, which were more like thematic adaptations of the books than plot adaptations. Okay, maybe he's doing that again, I guess. What? Sorry, I'm reading the Matt plot of this now. thematic adaptations. <laughs> this is insane. Uh, when does this show come out? Because they finished filming it, like, over the summer. Seems like it would be a good Halloween thing. Yeah, it sounds like it should be coming out soon, but I can't find any indication about a release date. Oh, Madeline and Roderick are twins, and they're the last members of the house of the family of the House of Usher. Mm-hmm. All right, Madeline. They're both sick, mm-hmm. and then Madeline dies, and so Roderick insists that she be entombed in the family tomb located in the house. Okay, blah 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 blah. The the narrator tells Roderick on his sick bed the story of Ethelred the knight. Okay. Blah, blah, blah. <laughs> the bedroom door is then blown open to reveal Madeline, bloodied from her arduous escape from the tomb. Uh-huh. In a final fit of rage, she attacks her brother, scaring him to death, and then she herself expires. That I thought you were is... about to say explodes. <laughs> <laughs> that is so classically Poe. Every time you introduce a new sentence to that description, I was like, oh, this is even more Poe now. Yeah. I know, but it's like... <laughs> It's like a self-parody at some point. He was real horny for accidentally being buried alive. It looks like Madeline is going to be played by Mary McDonnell, and originally Roderick was played by Frank Langella, who is the oldest person who ever- he's 14 years older than Mary McDonnell, who does not look 70. Uh, But he was a dickhead, apparently, and got replaced by Bruce Greenwood, who's closer to her age. Good, because he is- awful. I've never seen him in something and not thought, wow, he's not acting at all. You didn't like uh, Masters of the Universe? I didn't see Masters of the Universe, to be fair. He plays Skeletor in that one, and people really like his performance in it, supposedly. I saw him in 
on Broadway in King Lear, and he was King Lear, and he was so awful that I had to get up and leave after the second act. Yeah. Well, good. We he's uh complained about being canceled. I think he told like stories about his <laughs> slutty seventies days and people really didn't like it, and that's why he got mm-hmm. fired from this show. Well, that's fine too, but uh we shouldn't confuse people being canceled because of their sex pestness with them also being not in things just because they're bad at them. <laughs> but I, I do think it is uh, comforting when we uh, take someone's career away and they weren't really good in the first place at it. You know, we call it the Tim Allen effect, am I right, you guys? <laughs> yeah, yeah yes! Fucking roast that fool. <laughs> uh, he'll never go away, though. They're giving him more money to be Santa Claus again. Of course they it's are. It's so funny that everyone was trying to stand up for him about that Buzz Lightyear movie, and then he was like, yeah, I don't, I don't care. I play the toy version. This is a different guy. <laughs> <laughs> sure. I do think it's funny that he trends on Twitter every six months for saying just, like, the dumbest shit, and then people who have defended him before feel the need to defend him again, even though it's him being like, yeah, I agree, I think that the fact that, you know, Mickey Mouse wears red shorts is a reference to communism, (laughs) and then everyone's like, yeah, no, he's right, actually. (laughs) It's... I like when he was like, uh, so we didn't evolve from monkeys, right? We all know. And then people were like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah. And then he saying. was like, oh, you believe that thing I said? How droll. Yeah. But that, How he do you guys didn't not get take that it back. Comedian. <laughs> like, that wasn't a joke. And I don't believe that you don't believe that. I think you, you're like, oh, I was just kidding. Because people yeah, were making it, so much fun it had of you. The ed- it had the energy of being like, well, we all know that that wasn't real, but the <laughs> yeah. true thing is, I'm going to let you say it, go. <laughs> Lizard people, etc., etc., you yeah. know. <sighs> um, anyway, then the House of Usher splits into and the fragments sink into a lake. <laughs> oh, it literally falls. That's <laughs> yeah, fun. yeah, yeah. That's the thing I remember about it. It literally uh, falls. That's very important. Oh my oh, god, man. there's a recurring... I didn't realize that Poe had a recurring detective character. Yeah. Murders in the oh, Rue Morgue it, and Mystery of it, Marie Roger and the Purloined Letter. Yeah. They is say it he's kind that of. Gay detective from Knives Out. <laughs> Basically, see uh, <laughs> Auguste Dupont. Oh, fuck, it is the gay detective from <laughs> Knives Out. I think he's French instead of uh, Louisiana, Georgia, whatever Creole he was trying to do there. Yeah. <laughs> Some kind of swamp white. Yep. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. W i g h t. That's the. Uh, that's the. Uh, oh, w i g h t. Okay. No, I decided I that just... afterward. <laughs> oh. Swamp white is the color I picked for my new uh, office walls. <laughs> nice. Oh my god! Yeah, they say uh, Poe. People try to say he invented the genre of uh, you know detective mysteries, but. I don't believe it. His <sighs> murders of the Ruborg. Remember the mystery from that? It stinks. No, <laughs> it's a I don't very remember bad it. Mystery. I've never read it, of course. Yeah, they're like, right. who? What wall was this cask of Amontillado <laughs> wall bricked up in, or whatever? Uh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, the uh, du- apparently though, uh, Dupont did predate Sherlock Holmes and Poirot. Yeah. So, mm. I mean, that's fair, but who cut I can't this guy's he dated head off? Both of those dudes. Yeah, he dated them before, uh, beforehand. Before they were famous. In a, <laughs> before uh-huh, it was I cool. Know. 
I was going to say, in a simulation before he actually dated them to see how it would go. In his mind palace. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. And he's like, oh no, I'm accidentally burying them alive. Why do I always do this? It always comes back to this. <laughs> That's the, is that the only Edgar Allan Poe story you know? Hey, listen to me. There are like ten in which someone gets accidentally buried alive. I can't That's listen to you because the sound of the beating heart of the man I murdered is too loud in my mind's ear. Someone mute this pendulum. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, Edgar Allan Poe's really good, though, right? Has anyone done a Yule Log style thing that is a pit and a pendulum for Halloween? Because that would be great. That would be fun. I'm pretty good. I also would like to see a Yule Log thing of the opening credits of Halloween where it's uh, jack-o'-lantern melting. Oh, yes, that would be good. But, like, it takes eight hours instead of two minutes. Yes. Um, oh, I had a Halloween-related topic that I wanted to talk about. It yes. does mean we're going to barely talk about the actual premise of our show, but that's, that's fine. That's fine. I really want to talk about, I've been watching, as we do every year, my wife and I watch, like, oh, a nice. handful of, uh, <clears throat> yep, uh, <laughs> watch a handful of episodes of Are You Afraid of the Dark, uh-huh. uh, leading up to Halloween, because it's a good mood setter, um, and we need to talk about the fact that one of the kids in Are You Afraid of the Dark, like, the storytelling kids, mm-hmm. has actual magic powers. <laughs> Okay. Oh, I thought you were going to say, is Ryan Gosling? Isn't no, he one of them? He, he no, plays one of the in characters the in a story. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah, because Goosebumps and Are You Afraid of the Dark were shooting in Vancouver around mm. the same time, so he's in both of them. Okay. Yes. Um, Magic so powers. They have, they as you know, the premise is that the, a group of teens tell stories around a fire, and then you see the story play out. One of those teens, the character's name is Betty Ann, and her stories are always like M Night Shyamalan-y. There's like a a, a spooky twist in them or whatever. And they're bad. Okay. Uh, they're uh, some of them are good. Some of them are bad. I mean, it's a mixed bag with any Canadian produced uh, kids TV show. I feel like. <laughs> yeah. Um, but she has like a rivalry with uh the youngest member who's like a bratty little kid, ah. and she quote unquote pranks him a couple of times. One time he, she tells a story about kids being turned into dolls, and then at the end of the thing, she pulls out of her bag a doll that is a perfect representation of this kid that she has a rivalry with, <laughs> including the clothes that he's wearing. <laughs> That's awesome. Which freaks him out and he runs away. Good joke, but how did she do that? And then there's an episode where she ha- there's a babysitter who reads stories to kids and the stories come real and the kids almost die. And- then this, like, this kid she has a rivalry with steals a book out of her bag and is flipping through it, and he flips to the part where it is narrating the things that he's saying out loud. Hmm. <laughs> like, she had a book that is the script of this episode of Are You Afraid of the Dark? <laughs> Weird. Hmm. She's a witch! She's an actual witch! Like, the rest of them what are telling if... ghost stories, and she has magic! <laughs> what if the annoying kid is a robot? So she knew exactly what he would say ahead of time, because it's <laughs> on a script already. And she knew exactly what he would wear, because he always wears the same clothes, because they're part of his robot body. Mm, a, he doesn't always wear the same clothes. Damn. And B, he's the little brother of Gary, the, like, leader of the Midnight Society, so... Mm. Unless uh, they were in a small wonder Yeah, situation. I was gonna say, Vicky was also a little sibling. <laughs> no, also he, was he introduced... grows up over the course of the show. Damn! He was introduced in the fifth season, and he's actually a magic retcon by the main mm. bad guy of that season. 
Mm-hmm. Okay. It turns out that he's really a representation of heaven or something. Yeah. Was that what the character, uh, the Buffy's uh, sister, was supposed to be? Uh, heaven I is think, for real. I think, Burpo. <laughs> I think it was a just a way to uh, weaken her by giving her more um, like emotional baggage. Yeah, but in universe, the explanation was that like. Oh, I th- I thought my explanation was in universe. <laughs> Uh, well, I mean, that character is supposed to be on Buffy's side. Yeah. She's like, the, she's like an angel that got jealous of how cool Buffy was, so she, like, wrote herself into Buffy's life as if she'd always been there, mm. as a friend Weird. or something? Is that what that is? <laughs> Fuck, mm. that show's stupid. <laughs> I was just watching a video about, uh, what is often considered the worst episode of the show, the one where beer turns you into a caveman. Um, and what i learned while watching the video about it is that episode's not very good and they didn't get the government funding for making it and it's definitely not the worst episode of the show (laughs) oh gosh i'm glad that uh we as a society have moved on from buffy the vampire slayer which i feel was not good for us right we all agree i don't know i barely noticed it existed but it was a cultural phenomenon and it felt bad it felt like it was telling us the wrong things to believe right the movie is pretty funny i've not seen the movie i think going like the fact that i didn't watch it until like 2014 gives me Mm. Uh, special insight and makes me better than everyone. You're a little uh-huh. bit special, yes, yeah. I know. Uh, I'm a little bit rock and roll. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, I'm a little bit country. Yeah. Oh, let's, let's get all, together let's, and let's, let's call the whole both, thing off. Let's both get sick and have our house collapse into a lake. <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, I I think that it was a <laughs> fine show that did a lot of important things and mm-hmm. also uh, I'm suspicious of anyone who says it's good without a bunch of qualifiers. <laughs> yes. All right. The problem is, it's a good show on paper that any individual episode of it is terrible. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> anyway. Mm-hmm. What are we doing on the show? Well, we go- So no one cares about the fact that there's a magic witch in the Midnight Society? That's fine. I feel like the there's no uh, show Bible, so eventually the show writers forgot what they'd yeah. established or not. <laughs> It's <laughs> my guess. Matt, if you like Are You Afraid of the Dark, uh, you should watch The Midnight Club. Okay. Uh, I will take that on board. I watched the mo- the more recent like reboots of Are You Afraid of the Dark, and guys, the second season, the, what is it called, The Shadow, the, the, the Monster in the Shadows or something, is really good. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have that downloaded, because I heard it's pretty good. Um, but- the first one's bad. I haven't watched the third one. But the second one genuinely kicks ass. Okay. It's fun. <clears throat> anyway, what we do on the show is we go to the WikiHow suggested articles page and put in a random word so we can see a list of articles people have requested related to that word. And then we provide people with advice on those topics. And today's word is world. Oh, yeah. so exciting. <clears throat> yeah, we got the whole world in our hands today, you guys. Yeah, I can show you the world. There are two incredible ones in here. That I'm mm-hmm. surprised don't already have WikiHow pages. How do uh, I think there are three incredible ones on this podcast? <laughs> I'm seeing yes, some incredibles. Yeah. 
Yeah, no, there's one incredible one on this podcast, and it's Louisa. We were both bad. No. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. No, uh, we're all equally balanced, just uh, like the three rings in Lord of the Rings. As all Each things two true. have to keep an eye on the other one. I like to think that I'm incredibly bad, thank you very much. <laughs> Uh, conquer the world and end the world. <laughs> yes. Yep. Two I sides the of the idea. same coin. <laughs> I love the thing. Oh, sorry, you go. I love the idea of an emperor of the world being interviewed by some uh, sycophants for the news, saying, so how did you do it? And they said, well, I started by going to WikiHow and typing in, how do I conquer the world? I love the idea that <clears throat> it seems like when you go to WikiHow, the idea is... I'm going to ask how to do a thing of the people who've already successfully done that thing. Yeah. And end the world cannot be that. (laughs) Uh, Here's the the thing a lot of people don't want to acknowledge. The world's already over. Mm -hmm. We're just still here. Yeah. We're just living in it, am I right? Yeah, Mm -hmm. it's it's the end's world. We're just living in it. (laughs) What? Should that be a t-shirt? <laughs> Whenever we say things now, I think, should that be a t-shirt? <laughs> and you're always not. wrong. Oh, you've sold out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. How do you conquer the world? If anybody knew, the world would already be conquered, so. Um, I don't know. If I knew how to conquer the world, I still wouldn't. It seems like it would be mm, bad. Not even a little bit. Wouldn't yeah, you start no, I'd it? I'd be good at it. I don't think that that's how it works. You can't semi-conquer the world. I know, but you would think you could. You'd be like, I can handle this. I'm just going to do it a little bit. And then you've ruined everything. The wisdom the wisdom to conquer the world comes with the wisdom to know that you shouldn't. Mm. Is that true? Because a lot of people have tried to conquer the world. It's a fortune cookie thing. Yeah, but they haven't succeeded because they weren't wise enough to know that they shouldn't bother. That one guy yeah. succeeded and then he cried about it. Before there were no but more lands to conquer. That fool didn't even fucking know that America was there <laughs> on the other side of that ocean that he was kneeling on or whatever. I thought he was kneeling in the Mediterranean. That doesn't make sense, though. Everyone knew about all sides of the Mediterranean. Yeah, you could practically see Africa from there, I <laughs> yeah. think. Uh, how to... That would be very funny if Alexander the Great is kneeling on the beach in <laughs> Italy or whatever, and some guy, and he's like sobbing and then some guy comes up and he's like hey look there's another place over there yeah. and then Alexander the Great leaps up like fuck yeah <laughs> yes there are new more lands to, to conquer, conquer. <laughs> new land unlocked <laughs> <laughs> I finally the got out of the friggin tutorial zone Europe <laughs> <laughs> the fog of war lifts and you see the <laughs> oh I finally got the gliding cape now I can come off the plateau and explore all of Hyrule or whatever hooray uh, how to get to the World Trade Center. Guys, I have bad news if you're asking this. Practice! Uh, practice! Yes! <laughs> you need to build a time machine. Yeah, practice traveling through time, dipshit. <laughs> I guess, technically, the World Trade Center is that area and not the Twin Towers of the World Trade Center. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But do they still do World Trade there? Probably not, right? No, seem, but there's probably a guy insensitive. who'll sell you isn't, counterfeit tickets to something there, I bet. Oh, yeah, isn't definitely. every trade a world trade, if you think about it, in this modern digital age we live in? Wow, profound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, <clears throat> yep. really makes you think. How to play Whole Wide World on guitar. Is that a song? He's got the whole world in his hands? Someone yeah, sung that earlier. One? Yeah. Yeah, I did say that. Is that what that song is called? I don't remember. Mate, whole world in his hand. I don't think you ever say whole wide world in that song, do you? 
Mm, you I don't, don't have to so. say the title of a song in a song. Yeah. Mm, uh, th- now we're getting into some Panic at the Disco shit that I do not appreciate. <laughs> uh, it looks like there are several songs called Whole Wide World, and that's not one of them. Is that is it that Cat Stevens song? Ooh, baby, baby, whole wide world. It's a song by Reckless Eric. No, no thanks. <laughs> An English rock star from the 70s. Oh, fuck. Oh, man, that's great. <laughs> that's, that's so funny. Why is his yeah. name that? That is pretty good. <laughs> oh, that's the perfect name for a band. Reckless Eric is incredibly good. No, it was just the guy. His name was Eric Goulden. Well, that's, yeah, that's still good. I think that's still good. And the Goulden Mustard Fortune. Yep. There's a lot on here about how to play a game. Uh, Mm -hmm. just fucking go play it? Like, the game will tell you how to play the game. I do think it's very funny when people, one of the ones that's on here is World of Warcraft Gold Farming Tips. And I do get it. But I love how many MMOs have become a thing of people being like, what is the best way for me to not spend time playing the game that I'm playing? <laughs> yeah. It's true. Like, you've made it so that the punishment in your game is playing the game more, and that sucks. Well, you want to spend your time efficiently, right? Uh-huh. And if you are maximizing efficiency for fun, which... You know, I do. Who among I love us, clicker games. Exactly. Who among <laughs> us can say, well, a clicker game, the whole thing of it is you are playing to automate the gameplay. Yes, so that I can play more of the game. I guess my point is, MMOs, I think, have really fucked up in that the game, the, the time that you spend playing the game mostly isn't enjoyable because of the promise of it being eventually enjoyable Hmm. so you end up spending most of your time gathering pointless resources so that you can eventually start to gather the ones that you actually care about yeah that's true it's all very interesting that's that's just life though so what are your world of warcraft gold farming tips um i would say kill every npc yeah of course and uh, take their stuff and sell it. Go outside and do something else. That's mine. Yeah, see if you can find some real gold. <laughs> Go check out local streams and, and rivers. Cram it into your hard drive. Yeah. <laughs> um, how to get to Cadbury's world? Well, practice. You need practice. practice. <laughs> you need four bedridden grandparents and a very sad life. Yep. Uh, and then the candy man at your local candy shop mm-hmm. will... He kills you with bees! <laughs> oh, no! <laughs> this is the crossover we've all wanted. Yep. <laughs> I would love that. I would... This is this is what they need to put in multiverses, is Willy Wonka versus <laughs> the candy man. <laughs> uh, candy man might be a universal monster. Oh, fuck. But Willy Wonka, I think, is a Warner Brothers property. When are we going to finally get the consolidation we need out of the media conglomerates? Yeah, we need to have two of them. <clears throat> yep. And then they can fight each other. Yep. Like Godzilla and Mothra. Whoever wins, we lose. <laughs> really? That's the ones that- I think they're friends, Matt. <laughs> <laughs> they fought when they first were around before they realized that they were Lovers. on the same side. Yeah, Mothra yeah. thought Godzilla <laughs> wanted to eat her grubs or something. <laughs> It's always about those fucking grubs, isn't it? Those disgusting grubs. <laughs> Ugh, can, guys, can we talk about moths and their obsession with grubs? <laughs> ugh. We need, ugh. 
I had an idea for a funny uh, post mm. that I would post where the caption <laughs> the mm. caption would be why isn't this anybody is my favorite bit on our show yeah. by the way <laughs> I'm explaining a meme but I yeah. one that doesn't exist uh, the caption would be why isn't anybody talking about this and then it would be a picture of that guy from Encanto that no one talked about Bruno uh, yeah but I I don't know if anyone made that joke three years ago and that movie came out but. Could you make that joke, but about a bunch of famously silent things, like the artist, or like that episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer? Why isn't anybody talking about this? And it's a poster for Fight Club. Mm-hmm. It's a picture yeah. of Godzilla fighting Mothra. <laughs> could, could could you make a Twitter account called "Why isn't anyone talking about this?" And then you just post pictures of these things? Could I make a Twitter account so boring that even God <laughs> could not follow it? <laughs> Uh, God does have. like boring things. <laughs> well, you know, that's why so many things are boring. <laughs> How to get to Monkey World. Yay! Uh, you need to steal a hair from Monkey's tail, and then to get it back, he will take you to Monkey World. I don't want to steal. he's under your control. Steal a hair? I don't want to go to Rabbit World. <laughs> you need to... You need to draw a cartoon monkey yeah. and be Brendan Fraser, and then... yeah. You'll then Whoopi Goldberg will be the angel of death and take you to Monkey World. Is that what happens in Monkey uh, Bone? I still I haven't watched be. Monkey Bone, so I don't All know. I remember is Chris Kattan is either Chris. Monkey Bone or not Monkey Bone, but he's in the movie. So I have seen this movie oh, no. and Monkey Bone, the cartoon character that Brendan Fraser created. Fraser out of, Fraser, sorry. Yeah. Breaks out of the cartoon world and takes over Brendan Fraser's body. And okay. ruins his life. Uh, it's extremely uh, Funny. like the movie, like the movie Venom. <laughs> oh, okay. Uh, and then Brendan Fraser figures out. I think he talks to Whoopi Goldberg, who is the Angel of Death, uh-huh. and she helps him to take his body back and oust Monkey Bone. And then Monkey Bone is like a soul drifting through the universe, and Chris Kattan is playing a fresh corpse. <laughs> Oh that, no! Uh, Monkey Bo- Bone goes into and is now fighting Brendan Fraser, and he I think he like is in mid autopsy, so he's like opening his <sighs> chest cavity and throwing his organs at Brendan Fraser. <laughs> Why do we let the nineties be like? You know what's really funny? Things that are disgusting. Did you yep. guys watch Comedy Central in the late nineties and early two thousands? Yes. yes of how course. do you think I saw Monkey Bone? <laughs> well, I was wondering though because that's how I know that. Brendan Fraser's name is pronounced that way because yeah. he said, and it's pronounced if you, Fraser. Yeah. If, you if you pronounce it Fraser, it on, I know where you I live. I know where you live, yeah, of course. I'll never forget. Yep. Anyway. How to travel the world with no money. Don't. Uh, get in a boat. Uh, start hitchhiking recklessly. Mm-hmm. I mean, you won't travel this world, but you'll travel <laughs> to the next world. The yep. monkey world, perhaps. But, yeah, maybe. Yeah, that's how you get to monkey world. Hitchhiking robot? No, we can't talk about the hitchhiking robot anymore. Louisa, don't bring that up. (laughs) It's such a sore spot for all of us, Louisa. (laughs) Oh, it's still the best thing about Philadelphia. (laughs) Um, I've heard people talking about traveling like in hostels and the movie hostel. Yeah, backpacking around Europe and whatever on a dollar a day. Mm-hmm. That just sounds miserable to me. Yeah. Like, if I can't afford to 
stay somewhere at least somewhat nice and like have food to eat that's good and enjoyable and like go to places that are interesting and culturally relevant why would i want to travel i could just stay home and not be uncomfortable yeah you know? i feel like if you if you don't have the money to spend you can enjoy amazing things around the world but you need to put in so much time instead and i feel like that would just wear me down to nothing and i'd be miserable the entire time no matter what some people use are real crunchy get it use that time to get a job and then earn um, the money no matt's a capitalist style. now <laughs> uh, yeah i don't know i think it's if you don't have the same anxieties that we have, it would be much easier to <laughs> go just go around. I mean, I guess that's true, but I get so easily discouraged, I would try really hard to find a cheap meal, find one. It would maybe take me hours more than it would be to just go to a nice restaurant. Find a cheap meal, have it, it's not very good, and then I've questioned everything about my life and I want to go home immediately. Yeah, and like I think you're right, Jeff. But the that means the answer to how to travel the world with no money is to be an asshole. Mm. Because I feel like the people who don't have our anxieties, who are like, yeah, this is gonna be fine. It is fine because they will like go to another country and then they'll be like, hey, I, we just met, uh, you know, on this bus. Can I come to your house for dinner? Yeah. But like, like, is that an asshole so. thing to do? Or yes! do you think that because of our anxieties? <laughs> no! If you're putting a person in a position where they have to say, no, you can't come to my house for dinner, you are an asshole. Because you are telling yourself, well, they could just say no. But they are saying, I need to be polite to this stranger. Yeah. What if What if they want a stranger to come to their house for dinner? No one wants then they want to kill you! To no, That's we, the only yeah. people who want that. We don't want a stranger to come to our house for dinner, but someone else might like that. No, sickos. I don't believe it. Yeah, it, the world would be much better off if there weren't people like that. <laughs> who had the milk of human kindness in their yes, veins. exactly. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> Do you remember that myth where uh, Zeus becomes a beggar and goes to every house in a town? And <laughs> and then he has to destroy it and turn everyone to salt if they look back at it, because there's no I good mean, people. I, that was repurposed in the Bible, but I think it was originally <sighs> a Greek myth thing. Maybe it wasn't Zeus, but anyway. Um, that was in the fourth Thor movie, I think. I would absolutely be destroyed, because yeah, me too. there is no way I'm letting you into my house, beggar <laughs> Zeus. Uh, yeah, definitely. How to pack for Disney World. Over to you, Louisa. Uh, you want to bring so many pairs of underwear because when you're on a trip, there's nothing like putting on a fresh, clean there's pair of like underwear. like shitting yourself on the people. <laughs> no, <room>. no. <laughs> oh, sorry. Always having clean underwear on a trip is such a luxury. <laughs> <laughs> what are you saying? Bring yeah, you not always have suitcase full of underwear. <laughs> no. When you're Suitcase out and full about. of underwear, pocket full of dreams, <laughs> pocket full of kryptonite. <laughs> when you're on vacation, you want to change your underwear several times a day, which I don't feel the need to do. No, at I home. don't. Well, <laughs> I do. <clears throat> That's it. Uh, Suitcase so full of underwear. Which, the end. Which Louisa? Mm-hmm? Which of the rides at the Magic Kingdom are dark enough that you can change your underwear mid-ride without anyone noticing. <laughs> the tragedy is, of course, Great Thunder Mountain, but it's gonna mm-hmm. soak your underwear at the end when it splashes you into that log that shoots 
when uh, you become frightened and urinate yourself. Deep into yourself. your sinuses. <laughs> so there's no point in doing it because your underwear is about to get soaked with weird swamp water anyway, so. It's true. Yeah. I mean, every ride I go on my underwear ends up soaked with weird swamp water, if you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah it's but... not so weird if you know where it's coming from. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's the thing. He doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> no idea. Also, every time I go to the bathroom, I call it Big Thunder Mountain. Is that anything? <laughs> I mean, yeah, but <laughs> I don't like it. Do you guys remember when we all heard the news that uh, Mario Lopez had sex on the what? Of the Caribbean ride? <laughs> no. Yeah, I remember exactly where I was when I heard the news. <laughs> he did an interview, and he said that he'd had sex on several of the rides at the Magic Kingdom, and when they asked which ones, he said the Pirates of the Caribbean. <laughs> See, I think that he's the kind of guy, he's like not really a person, he's like a, a robot man. Just like on Pirates of the Caribbean. Johnny Depp on the Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) Yeah. He thought it was cool to be like, yeah, I've had sex on the rides at Disney World. And then people were like, whoa, really? Which ones? And he's like, oh, shit, that was, I shouldn't have bragged about that. What do I say now? Uh, I'm going to name some rides. No, it's all fake. There's no way he did that. I mean, it's probably, yes, I agree with you, because it would be so hard to not tip that boat over. (laughs) Yeah. Plus, that boat carries mm, 25 people. There's no way you're in it by yourself. Come on. Plus, Mario Lopez really should have thought about the fact that bragging about having sex at a children's theme park is not a good look no matter what. Yeah. Uh, Like I said, he's a robot man. He always says weird things. You're like, what? What? Why would you say that? Although he was a child actor, so that really messes with your brain. Mm -hmm. But now I hear he's in the haunting of the (laughs) fall of the House of Usher or whatever. Pretty good. Good job, everyone. The haunting of the fall. All right, well, thanks everyone for listening to the show. If you liked it, please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice and tell a friend about the show. That's your homework for this week. Tell a friend. Hooray! If you want to uh, get in touch with us, you can find us on Twitter at HackTheNetPod. Or you can join our Discord, where you can talk to us directly. All you need to do is send us a message on Mastodon. I'm at Matt Heron at Mastodon.online. If you can find me online, I will give you a series of puzzles. And if you can't solve the puzzles, uh, then you die in five days. Oh, I thought this was going to be a Hellraiser thing. It started out as a Hellraiser thing. Uh, Also, there's a demon that jacks you off with sandpaper or something. (laughs) That rips your nutsack apart with meat hooks. Yeah, but you like it. It makes you come. (laughs) Okay. And you can talk to me, but not about that. I will not engage on this topic. You can talk to me at Louisa at Mastodon.xyz. And also, if you would like to listen to me talk with my friend Noah about food, there's another podcast called No Substitutions, Please. More like Noah Substitutions. Mm. Yeah, get him. No, su- Noah Substitutions, Louisa. There we go. <laughs> Finally! Someone's cracked the case. Is it too late to change your, the name of your podcast? <laughs> it would have a perfect SEO, <laughs> to be <Yeah>. fair. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Uh, All right, well, thanks everyone for listening to the show. Please come back next week, but in the meantime, don't forget that if it's not Matt, it's not worth it. I don't know if other people are going to be into it. (laughs) I'm the best around!
Jeff, did you forget what you were going to say for a minute there? A little bit, yeah. 